Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. Hello, friends. It is me, the host, Dr. Emily Rausch. I am a sports medicine chiropractor located in Boise, Idaho. I specialize in working with pole, aerial, and circus artists and treat people both in person and virtually. So if that's something that you're interested in, hit me up. Um, a few disclaimers. Well, mostly one disclaimer. I have a amazing golden retriever. His name is Samson that insists on being very close to me all the time. So there is a high chance that you will hear some random noises coming from him. It is what it is. And now on to the episode. All right. Um, minus some technical difficulties, we are here. Hello. Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. I'm here with the amazing Roz the Diva. Um, Roz, would you mind introducing yourself to the people? For sure. Uh, my name is Roz the Diva, friends. Uh, I am calling in today or podcasting in today from Brooklyn in New York, expensive city. And <laughs> I'm a pole dancer, pole dancing instructor, and a trainer, a personal trainer. And I specialize working with all kinds of non traditional athletes. So basically, anybody who isn't like, a straight white guy uh, ultimately ends up being my client. So I work with um, plus size women, uh, people all over the gender spectrum, um, people with disabilities or disabled athletes, um, as well as people who just have a lot of uh, anxiety and trauma around working out. So basically we're team underdogs all day. I love it. I love it. One of my favorite questions to ask people is of what you do a lot of different movement things, but like why pole dancing as opposed to other like dancey types of movement? You know, I think um, I actually do. Besides pole dancing, I like to think that I'm literally Shaka Zulu and I've been taking African dance classes for a couple of years um, but your, but pole is definitely where my heart and my love and my soul is. And that's actually quite a good question. I think pole stuck with me super hard because it was not about how I looked, but it was about what I could do with my body. And it was my introduction to strength training. And before pole, I had not considered you know, doing things like lifting weights or calisthenics. I used to hate that stuff. Um, and I was like, oh, like it's scary. I don't want to do it. I don't want to try it. And then just kidding, it became my entire life. And when I realized that I don't, I could be good at sports um, that don't involve speed, but if it's about strength, that's a different story. So pole really gave me a, a chance to be strong. Okay. And honestly, I completely resonate with that. I avoided lifting as much as I could, unless it was like one of my coaches was telling me that I like had to go to the weight room. I wouldn't be able to be on the team, but it wasn't something that I like actively sought out until I started pole dancing. Cause I was like, if I want to do this, I need to be stronger and how you get stronger is by strength training. So love that. How long, Absolutely. how long have you been, let's do dancing. And then how long have you been personal training? So I've been a polar now for 14 and a half years, uh, which is bananas. 
And yes, it is. Mine. Yeah, right. And I've been, I've been a group. I actually started teaching eleven years ago. Um, I was, you know, besides doing the personal training, I was doing a lot more group fitness instruction. And then the personal training really got started, I believe it was 2015. So we're talking about seven years ago from now. Okay. So quite a few years in all of the different industries that you're involved in. Um, Have you noticed um, any interesting trends? I'm sure you have, but like any trends you want to chat about? Yeah, I see with pole dancing, um, I've noticed that people are progressing a lot faster than what I recall, like things that we used to consider um, a big deal, like an invert, which is getting your head over your ass, and, or I'm sorry, just kidding. <laughs> that's, that's called standing up. Yes. <laughs> we knew what you meant, your ass over your head. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Getting your ass over your head, um, you know, and doing different tricks and poses in that upside down position. That used to be like the piece de resistance, like the most crazy trick you could do. Um, it would, those those tricks, they were such a big deal. And I mean, they still are a big deal, but they're far more common. And things that I used to consider super advanced are now like eh, medium. Mm-hmm. So it seems like as the popularity of pole has stepped up, I would say the um, the level of athleticism is almost terrifying how some people are and what they've been able to do. And apparently physics don't matter to certain people <laughs> and the rules of physics just don't apply after a while. That is one of my most common, I don't know if gripes is the right word, but like, I swear gravity does not exist for some people. Um, and like, how, like how are you physically able to do the things that you are doing like with gravity? I don't understand. <laughs> if you figure it out, please let me know because I'm over here looking at some of these people like, what in the whole hell? Same. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're, especially where like the like Eastern European Russian dancers where I'm like, like, does gravity not exist for you all over there? Like, can I, can I come train with you? Because I would like to free float throughout, through the air, please. And thank you. Um, exactly. No gravity, no spine, yeah. no bones. <laughs> just, just noodles. <laughs> Do you feel like the acceleration of like the pole skills like you know inverting used to be like this like you know piece of resistance and now it's like if you if you can't invert not that you're not a good pole dancer in any capacity but I know that like a lot of people get hung up on like oh I've been in or pole dancing for two months and I can't invert it's like well you've been pole dancing for only two months like chill um do you feel like the the push to move faster is helping or hurting the industry or neither I would say it's definitely hurting. Um, I, I wouldn't say that the industry is like actively hurting because of that, but it damn sure doesn't help. Um, you know, when I have students who they either write to me, um, send me a D a slide in the DMS, or they ask me after class, like, man, I just can't get this move. You know, one of my questions is, well, how long have you been pole dancing or how long have you tried to get this? And they're like, I've been polling for like two months already. And I'm like, wow, you have no idea. (laughs) 
of um, the timeline of how things go. And I think, you know, I actually think it doesn't make it. I think the problem is not how fast people progress, but the problem is that it's the expectation that you're supposed to progress so fast. That's the part that hurts the industry. It's not that people, it's not the people who are actually able to do some of these wild ass tricks. Um, that's, you know, that's just really cool, but it's when it is expected that you're supposed to get a particular movement in a particular time frame. That's, that's not what's up. That's, that's when things go wrong. And I think that's something that is definitely hurting. And um, I would like more people to talk about how long it took them to get certain things. Because, you know, when I see these baby pullers and they're like, man, I still can't get this invert. I've been pulling for almost, you know, like I said, two or three months. And I'm like, child, I will see your two, three months and raise you two or three years for some people. And when I tell them what to expect, then they're like, oh, dude, okay, that's fine. But people just assume that they're failing because they're not winning the race immediately. Absolutely. I was on Reddit the other day on like the r slash pole dancing and there was someone that was they like honestly wrote out like a, a paragraph, like a novel for like a Reddit post of um, they were on like their second or third class and they were like really upset that they couldn't do. I don't remember what the skill was, but it was like climbing maybe or like a one armed spin. Oh it was one gosh. where I was like, you've been to three classes um, and the yeah, the expectation that like things are going to come easily to people or that there's a like a set timeline. Like once you take X number of classes, you should be able to do whatever um sets sets people up for like disappointment and then a lot of people at least in my experience aren't able to recognize that like because they can't do something it, it's not a reflection on like their self-worth as a human it they like tend to tie the the two together where it's like i can't invert so therefore i'm a failure um and it's like it's so unnecessary and it, it hurts my heart yeah i absolutely agree and to be all the way crystal clear, I 100% was that person. Um, you know, my experience with pole is that I was always the largest person in the room, physically largest person. And I was usually the least trick oriented person um, because being a plus size athlete, it took me longer to build enough strength to do a lot of the same moves that my more slender friends could do. And I recall, uh, I had my phase where I would tell myself, okay, don't cry until you start sweating. So then you can mix the tears with the sweat and it won't be obvious that you're crying because you can't do it. Or, hey, Raj, just wait till you get to the train once you're out of the gym and once you're on the train, you can cry and it's okay because no one will see you. So 100%, I had that phase. And um, I, I recall the loneliness that comes with that feeling. And I recall the you, you feel hopeless to a certain extent. And you do feel like 
so much of your worth is tied into what you're able to produce and mm-hmm. depend with me. Um, I have so much of my value and this part I still do. I have so much of my value is wrapped up. My value as a person is wrapped up in what I can produce and how I can be helpful for other people and what I could do for everyone else. And so when you're in a position, even if it's supposed to be as fun and casual as pole dancing, it can absolutely touch a nerve for people like it touched a nerve for me um, when you can't produce something. Then you're just highlighting all the, then you go in your head and you start highlighting all the reasons why you can't produce. You remember everything you can't do and suddenly then all the puppies die in the world. Every rainbow goes black and white and you just want to curl up in the shower and die and listen to John Mayer be sad. <laughs> uh, um, lots of things to, to unpack there. Yeah. Where the, um, which it, like, a little bit is making me giggle. Cause like the amount of times that I've had this like very similar conversation with my like mental health therapist where she's like, it doesn't matter how productive you are. Like you still have value. And I was like, I don't believe you. Um, is a is a forever journey that I feel like people that are raised in a capitalistic society are having to unlearn and like unlearn to whatever extent you you can right um and then the the frustration and tears and I went into pole thinking that since I had a athletic background that it was going to be really easy and just got like smacked with reality my first class where it's like no you haven't earned the right to do this yet um start at step one um so yeah very much resonate with the the big feelings the trying your what you're able to produce with your self-worth and trying to navigate that do you have any advice for um especially like plus size pole dancers that are new starting that like if you could go back and tell baby polar raws that you think would be beneficial for people to hear I think really understanding that the timeline for plus size and other non-traditional pole dancers, it's going to be a gajillion times longer than for our more slender or able-bodied counterparts. Um, and, I, and I'm not claiming to be disabled here. So I said are able-bodied, but I just mean in the general sense. And so um, if I had known that it was going to take like four or five times as long for me to get something as my slender counterparts, I wouldn't have felt so bad about myself, but I didn't know that. And the only reason that I know that now is because I've had 14 years, um, including 11 years worth of teaching data to look back at. And I started to notice patterns and I started to notice trends. And it wasn't that I couldn't do the same things as my friends. It was that it just took so much longer. But if you're in year one, year two, year three, you probably don't know, you don't have enough data yet to really see the bigger picture of your rate of learning. Um, You might notice it, you know, in some cases, but you... But you definitely need, you just need a lot of experience. If you don't have that experience, you don't know what to expect. So I, mm-hmm. what I tell everybody 
um, when they write to me in this despair of what they can't do on the poll, I tell them, yeah, that totally makes sense to me and do it anyway. <laughs> and the do it anyway part, I think, is just as important as recognizing how damn difficult this is, because I want people to know, like, it's going to be hard, but hard does not mean impossible. It just means it's hard. And it's going to be harder for marginalized bodies to do stuff that non-marginalized bodies can easily do. That does not mean that it's a no. It just means not right now, but soon. So I think okay. just as much as is important to recognize it's going to take a while, well, it's going to take even longer if you don't practice and if you don't try. For sure. And the, the thing that is coming up for me is like trying to navigate that conversation with um, like if I'm thinking of myself in an instructor role, like trying to navigate that conversation with plus size students, because like maybe they're coming to their instructor, maybe they're like messaging, messaging you and asking questions. But is there some thoughts on like um, instructors being proactive at it? explaining that so that people don't have to go through this like emotional roller coaster to come out on the other end being like oh yeah it's going to take me longer because of x y and z absolutely i think i think instructors should i tell every single class that i teach even my experienced pollers even the baby pollers i tell them you're going to suck at 90% of what you try today it's just, it's a fact. It's how pole dancing goes. And so pole's 90% failure. It's 9% sparkly booty shorts and shoes that we don't need, but are just really pretty. And then 1% or maybe 2% of the time, you're like, oh, I actually kind of got that trick. That's pretty exciting. So I think if people think of, you know, if, if you think about it and you tell your students what to expect, then they can adjust their expectations accordingly. But if they're left to their own devices and they don't have any sort of reference point, especially the newbies, if they have no reference point as to how fast they're supposed to do stuff, then they're just going to assume if they can't do it the first time that they failed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to set expectations that no matter how many times that they try and fail, you still like them. And they are still your students. They're still your baby swans, your baby bear cubs. You're not going to judge them based on what they can and cannot produce. And I also think it's really important for instructors to highlight the things that students are doing well. Let's say you're not able to lift yourself off the floor, but you have proper shoulder technique or shoulder engagement and you are cheering other people on in class, well, that needs a shout out because that is just as important, in my opinion, as the person who can lift themselves up to Mars. And the more that we can go out of our way to celebrate and highlight a toe point an outfit that looks really cute that day, someone's booty cheek. If you know them well enough where you could talk about their booty cheeks, if you don't know them that well, shut up. But 
<laughs> that's a little creeper. But for people you know, tell them they have a nice ass. And or maybe their dancing is really exciting. And I also encourage my students, tell that to each other. You don't have to wait for me to give somebody else a compliment. Compliment in real time. Let people know, hey, what you just did was cool. And I can, that is what has gotten me through poll, especially those times where I'm counting down, how do I run away to the bathroom and go cry? That's what's kept me from running away and going to cry is when people, I still remember when people gave me the most random compliments and things I did not expect. Uh, They've been some of the reasons why I did not leave class that day is because somebody told me that they, they kind of believed in me. And I was like, all right, I guess it's worth staying. And I'm so glad that I stayed. Yeah. Where would you be? Who who would you be if you didn't stay? Right. Do you ever go down that rabbit hole? I do every once in a while. I mean, I'd still be wearing pants to work is what I'd be doing. I would still love khakis a little bit too much and I would not be naked drinking and cursing on the internet. So <laughs> What a sad, sad thought. We would not have the diva <laughs> exactly. with us. Oh, that would be devastating. Um, one of the things that I find really amazing about you is that you've gone out of your way to create um, like an amazing resource for instructors that are working with plus size pole dancers um, to help them be better instructors. Can you chat about the journey for you to create all of the resources that you've created? Yeah. So right at this point in my career, my heart is in mentorship of new instructors, even instructors who aren't new, but I love teaching the teachers. And I recognize that a lot of my teaching methods, they're based on my experience in a plus size black loud ass body (laughs) and the things that I do that quite frankly are completely natural. They're not natural for other people because they haven't had those same life experiences. And so I decided to create um, some resources for people who don't, even if you do have similar experiences, but create resources for those to kind of get a glimpse into the world of what it's like being in a non-traditional athletic body and what they can do to support people. And, you know, I got this because I get a ton of questions, not just from students, but from a lot of instructors as well, who they are desperate for answers. Their their hearts are in the right place, but they just don't have the skill set. And they recognize that and they want to do better. They just don't know how. And so one way, one solution to that, that I had thought of was creating coaching plus size dancers. And um, I also have another workshop that is just about coaching non-traditional athletes, period. And this is, you know, to give, this is to help people, as I mentioned, who don't have those immediate life experiences. 
Um, and it's also to highlight the fact I would like to change the culture of fitness in some regards. And I'd like to, I'd like to think that these workshops are my way of making positive changes, changes that are really centered around. You don't have to be, if you're a dude, you know, you don't have to be a dude who's six two, you know, 25 years old and 175 to add value to the athletic community. If your eyes are open and if there's oxygen in your lungs, you're an athlete. Full stop. Mm -hmm. No questions about it, no asterisks, no nothing. So now it's a matter of what kind of athlete you are um, and finding um, what makes you happy as an athlete or part of the athletic community. And you know, that, that just matters to me. Inclusivity has been something, even when I wasn't doing fitness as my full-time career, um, inclusivity is everything. It's a big deal in my family. It's a big deal for me. And so um, I guess it kind of makes sense when I think about it that I would do something, you know, a career focus related to sports is about helping everybody to participate. Love it. Love it. Love it. Which I think segues into a really great question is, um, and we could go like two different routes, like in the poll world, how can we be more inclusive? Like, do you have any ideas, suggestions for people? And then in just like the broader fitness world, do you have thoughts on, on either or both? Yeah, I think with, with pole dancing, there's, um, now, this is a very long-term project, so I'm not expecting this for people to make immediate changes, but the more diverse teaching staff that your studio can have, you're going to diversify your student body. End of story, that is the number one way that you're going to help with inclusivity and accessibility within your gym, your studio, your house of practice. Ooh, I like house of practice. Ooh, I, I love that. I love that. Anyway, right? <laughs> anyway, so wherever your house of practice is, um, the more diverse leadership you have, those leaders are going to bring their own life experiences into the house of practice. And they're going to make sure, hey, this is accessible for these people, but maybe not for these. And how can we, everyone's going to bring their own flavor into it and they're going to bring their own expertise. And that's really how spaces are going to grow. And so that's one thing. Now, I also realize that's, that's probably a two or three year project. And that's why you're going to get started today doing that. And I think one of the ways that you can get started today is to tell your clients, your staff, your students, everybody that you want to diversify the um, your your squad. And in what ways do you think we could add more diversity? What do you think is missing that we should look for in new instructors and in new staff? And there's, you know, when we say diversity and inclusivity, you know, I've named race, I've named size and ability as like three big things, but there are so many ways to define diversity. So, and I, there's no, it's, it's a list that never ends. And 
there's going to be things that I can't even think of that your students may think of and say, hey, I would love an, I would love an instructor, maybe, for example, who has experience working with people with Down syndrome or people who are neurodiverse. And I want an instructor who perhaps is particularly tall or a person of shorter statue. And, you know, this, it opens up, I think having discussions like this really open up what the, what your students value, what you value as, as a leader and how you can, how those two things can meet. So your student, your client values match the values of the leadership. Um, I think now that's, like I said, that's a big project. Um, something you could do immediately is to diversify your social media feeds. If you're constantly being surrounded by the same type of body, the same type of movement, or the same school of thought, then you, that's just going to reinforce all of your biases that you have. So it's important that you're following all kinds of people, people who think differently than you, who look differently, who move differently, all of that is going to help you. It might open up just one or two small things like, you know what, let me make sure I have captions on all my videos. So that way, somebody who isn't able to hear what I'm saying, they can read what I'm saying. And, you know, that's something had I not followed um, some accounts that really champion excessive physical accessibility, I might not be as aware of that issue. So, you know, that's, that's a big thing. And then it's a little thing, but ultimately it, it, both of those things can add up to really great changes forward. Yeah. Completely agree that, especially on the, well, a lot of that, but the caption one is like the, the last thing that you talked about. I hadn't ever considered which makes me kind of sound like an asshole like how are people that are hard of hearing or deaf like able to watch tiktoks or reels or like any any videos um and it wasn't until i was on tiktok one day and like happened to get someone my feed being like please use captions because like otherwise like we're just completely excluded like we have no idea what's going on and it's such a a simple thing that like opens the door for so many more people to be able to like consume your content to connect with you. Um, and that is really cool. And like what, what other ways can you take, you know, small action to make your space be more welcoming to more, more types of people or big steps, right? Like the, you're talking about some big things like long-term goals, which are going to take some intentional action to make become reality, but absolutely worth it. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning inclusivity is hard and it's expensive. It's expensive in time, money, and effort. And this is where I think a lot of uh, houses of practice fall short. It's not that they intentionally don't want people who look like me in their places and in their spaces. It's that it's that to make someone like me feel fully comfortable, that means that they're probably going to have to go out of their way. You know, I look for places that have diverse staff, um, that have staff of color, 
that have a diverse range of genders. Um, I also look to see if I was working with a client who is in a wheelchair, would they be able to maneuver around the space? How, how easy or not would it be for them? Um, you know, I also try to think if somebody is, I think about different learning styles and we talked a little bit, you know, about the having captions in your videos, but also being able to, I, I recently worked with somebody who was blind and, and it was, I hope I did a good job with them in recognizing, you know, I've got to, I've got to over describe what my body is doing because they're not able to see where my toe is pointing. They're not able to see how much I'm bending my legs exactly. So that means I've got to really rely heavily on my words, which thank goodness I'm never short of words. <laughs> you know, that was, um, and like I said, I hope I did a good job with that student. I tried my best, but it was definitely a wake up call. Like, oh, if this happens again, are you going to be ready? And I'll be ready, you know, the next time. So, and it's going to, it's going to need practice as an ally for a group, for a marginalized group that you're not necessarily a member of. It's going to take you a lot of time and a lot of effort, and you're going to make a lot of mistakes on your way during your allyship. Um, you making mm -hmm. mistakes doesn't mean you shouldn't try. It just means that you're making mistakes and do better next time. And more often than not, the group that you're that you're acting as an ally for, they'll see the mistakes, and if they're made in earnest, then they'll probably give you a pass once or twice. And you know, if they know where your heart is, I find that people will be if if they know you're genuinely trying, and you're making an effort, it's just maybe it's a little misguided, then they'll help you develop your allyship if you ask. But the biggest thing that you need to do is communicate and to ask the people that you're trying to serve, are we serving you well? And if the answer or well enough, and if the answer is no, then what resources do those athletes need that you can serve them better? And when they say what they need, that's when you need to make that happen at any cost, damn near. And because more likely than not, it's not, they're not going to be these huge, crazy, ridiculous things. Like one thing that can help, one, one small things that gyms can do for me as a person who's larger than average is give me a gym towel that fits my body, damn it. And I know this is this is a complaint that uh, you know people who aren't plus size have. But when you have showers and you hand me something that's the size of a hand towel, it's gonna cover one boob. I'm not interested in walking around the locker room with my ass cheeks out. Sometimes yes, but most of the time no. So I want something that's closer to a beach size towel. That would just bring so much comfort for me because I can have more privacy and I can just, I can then decide how much privacy is good for me. But if I don't have that autonomy to begin with, then I feel embarrassed. 
And so, um, and that's something you all, everybody can get a beach towel. If you can pay the rent in your house of practice, you can afford a beach towel and see. And I think it's, you know, that's something like that. Now there could also be spaces where it's like, you know what, we need elevators going from the top to the bottom floors. That is something that is obviously a lot more expensive than a beach towel. And that's something that is more, that's going to take way more time than running to target for some new towels. But even if you're not able to install elevators in your space, maybe you could make sure there's a little bit of each equipment on each floor of the building. So that way, if somebody can't get to the top floor, they can still experience all that your space has to offer because every floor has a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, that both of those are like really great examples and like one of the reasons that I love having conversations with people like of different body size, different backgrounds, um, all of the things are like little details like that where like a, a gym towel wouldn't have been something that I think I like ever would have registered as being um, even like a barrier to wanting to use the facility. Right. Um, or, you know, like mm-hmm. having these conversations opens the door for like, Oh, that is a, that is a simple fix or that's not a simple fix, but like here's an alternative that like works well for, for both people um, and trying to be better every single time. And then you also mentioned something that I, I think is worth maybe touching on a little bit more of like the fear of doing things wrong. So you don't do it at all and how damaging that can be, especially when we're talking about inclusivity, like putting your head in the sand really isn't the solution. you like, you need to try and be okay with failing, I guess. Yeah, you, you do. And that's, that's so hard, right? For anybody with an athletic mindset, you know, we're taught the worst thing that you can ever do is fail. And there are movies there that are made based on people failing. <laughs> and then, but then the movie always concludes with somehow now they're the champion of the universe. And it's at that point where they're the champion of the universe. That's when they have value. That's when people are excited about them. But, um, but that's also, that's very not real. It's not realistic. So when you look at people who are used to winning and whose whole goal mission in life is to win and you tell them, get ready to fail, that's going to freak some people out. And I think, I think the people who get freaked out the most are the ones who have the least experience failing or being marginalized in some capacity. So, you know, this is where I'm so thankful that I have my PhD in being young, black, and cute (laughs) because I, I know what it's like to be excluded. I know what it's like to fail. I know what it's like to be on the outskirts And I think that's what really pushes me to make sure that within my, within my power, that nobody else has to feel like that or as very few people as possible. And, and yeah, I, I can tell you a hundred thousand percent when I've been working with clients with disabilities, I've casually asked them, I was like, Oh, go pick up that weight. And they're like, Roz, you know, I can't do that. (laughs) 
And but they have been so incredibly patient with me as I have stumbled through words, I've stumbled through language. Um, I have said, or the fact that I just don't have all the answers immediately. That's okay. That is really, really okay. It's all right if you don't know immediately what you're supposed to do. What's not okay is when you don't try. When you're like, I don't know what, eh, and same, same as always. So I think that's, um, that's critical. That's important. And get used to it because it's worth it. Yeah, I completely agree. One of the the things that, oh, sorry, that was my dog. I don't know if you heard him mowing, moaning in the background. Um, okay, he's been like grunt, grunting and like um, burping a lot. Hi, Samson. Um, one of the things that I have been meaning to ask you, I'm curious about with your experience showing up kind, and I don't want to say like fumbling through things, but like you're very willing to say like, hey, here's some thoughts on a topic. I'm thinking back to um, a story thing that you did where it was like, if you're resistant to being vaccinated, what is the reason? Um, And that's a topic that a lot of people would just shy away from, especially people with like a larger platform like you have. Um, And you just like dive into, Mm -hmm. I don't know if controversial topics is the right phrase, but like hot button topics and like you're willing to just say like put yourself out there like what what is your thought process how do you how do you navigate that that's uh quite a good question i don't think anybody's actually ever asked me that i think part of it is the way that i process information is externally i process a lot of feelings a lot of thoughts um and that's hello extroversion um i i do a lot of that externally And so for me, it doesn't, it feels more cathartic to have something to say it out loud rather than to hold some things in. So for me, it's less about finding the courage to like say it out loud. And it's more about if I don't say this, I'm going to explode on the inside. So it's like relieving a pressure valve. And, you know, I also think, I try to use my big mouth for good I because I've seen what happens on small and larger scales when people use their voice in negative ways. And I see how people, um, when they're not trying to, I, I see the influence that the big personalities can have in a small group of four or five people in class or four or five million people. So I want to make sure that I'm one of those big personalities that uses my mouth for good. And if you're going to hear me yelling, which everyone always hears me yelling, it's because I'm excited. I'm cheering someone on. I'm yelling because they did a twerk above their head and it was genius. And I need the whole world to know about it. Um, Because again, I need to process stuff externally because that's what makes sense to me. And I, with, with the vaccines in particular, um, it definitely is a controversial topic because there was a lot of people and people who I never would have expected were vaccine hesitant. And I, I've been curious about it. And I think here's, here's what I knew is shoving things down people's throat wasn't working. 
as much as I wanted it to work and I wanted to say, get your life together. This is how we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Well, we were doing that and look what was happening. People were just going farther into their own corners. And so I, before we figured out how to, before you figure out how to address the problem, you need to know what the problem was. And from my experience, when I still have those Vax chats up on my Instagram, um, I'm Roz the Diva, if anybody's curious and wants to check them out. I, we first had to understand why people weren't about this life, weren't about this Vax life. And most people, there was a lot of people who were just nervous about it because they just, they didn't know who to trust for information. They didn't know, um, they didn't exactly understand how things worked. Um, there were very, from what I understand, there were very few people who were like, there's no way you can't convince me it's over done, 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 done. There's very few people who had that mentality. It was more of, I want to do this, but I just want someone to listen to me first and not dismiss my concerns. And I want somebody who's going to recognize that I'm not crazy. I'm not stupid or I'm not ignorant. I'm just nervous. And once I understood that, you know, you, we can talk about nervousness. Like I can give you a pep talk. Pep talk's my favorite thing in the universe to give. So I was like, oh, we got this boo. But had I just kept saying, you're stupid for not getting a vax, which is what I wanted to say, then it would have, the problem would have gotten worse. Um, I also, another controversial topic that um, I want to get obsessed, even more obsessed with is therapy and mental health. And I think that is so incredibly important to me, um, you know, because I see where older generations in my family, had they had access and if, uh, if mental health resources were available to them, I think it would have changed the course of their life. I think if they had resources, if they had support, if they had the training and education that I've been extremely fortunate to have, that they would have had more positive life experiences and everybody around them would have had more positive life experiences. And so I just, you know, I want to rip the bandaid off of that. And I really, I want to talk about it because we need to talk about it. And I, and again, um, I don't want people feeling isolated and alone um, because that's when the guilt comes and just eats you alive. So I'm trying to counteract that as much as I can. And also, quite frankly, the more that I talk about things like therapy um, out loud, the more normalized it is for my own self. I've been to therapy for 15 years and I love it. I swear by it. I think everybody on the planet should have a therapist. <laughs> um, but I know that's not accessible, um, particularly in America, because our healthcare system sucks but I just, I want people to know that they're not crazy, that they matter and that um, it's okay. Whatever, whatever's happening, it's okay. Completely agree. Um, one of the, I've been taking notes off to the side and one of the things I wrote down is people want to feel seen and they want to feel safe, which is yes. the like underlying theme of, I'm also in, a big proponent of therapy. I've 
and like in therapy on a regular basis for many, many, many years. And that's kind of what most human issues come down to is like, do you feel like you're, you're being seen, like your feelings are being validated and, and do you feel safe? And if neither one of those is happening, um, it's either like, yeah, guilt, shame, or it's like really resistant to hearing other people's perspectives, experiences, um, that like I'm in my corner, you're in your corner and no progress is really being made besides us getting farther and farther apart, which is not what most people want. Um, Yeah, no. Psychological safety. um, I wish I could take credit for making that phrase, but I think somebody in a workshop had mentioned that to me and I was like, oh my gosh, that resonates so hard. When people feel safe to be safe enough to be themselves, that's the only time progress is going to get made. For sure. Yeah. And if, if not, then like, if you're not able to show up a hundred percent as yourself in whatever space that you're in, right? Like no, no progress is being made. And you can almost say the opposite is happening if people aren't being their authentic selves. Um, and so one of the yeah. interesting things to try to ponder, if we're trying to really like circle this back to pole fitness is like, are you creating a space where your patrons are coming in being able to feel seen and safe as their true selves are, or are they having to um, like mask part of their identity to be able to be in your space? And is that a, an active choice that you're wanting to make, or is that something that you can take some steps to try and change? That's such an important thing to consider. And that's something that you won't know if your clients have to, mask who they are until you ask them. And I'm not saying you go up to everyone individually and be like, so tell me about all of your insecurities and how they play out here. Cause that's, that's low key terrifying. So I think what, what could be really great from instructors and house leaders, house of practice leaders is create an environment where students are comfortable coming to you. So you're not going up and just making assumptions about them. So that means having um, an area for anonymous online feedback. Um, that means after every class, asking asking your students, how did you like class? What should I change? What should I do more of? How can we make this better? Um, having multiple channels for feedback, I think is going to be incredible because it puts everybody kind of at ease. And I think if you also set up feedback as in, listen, we love having you here and we want to keep you here. So what can we do better? So you just eat, sleep and breathe house of diva. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also everyone calm down. There is no house of diva. (laughs) I'm not opening my own space. It's too expensive and I don't care. Do you get asked that a lot? Not anymore, but uh, people used to ask all the time if I was going to open my own pole studio. And there might have been a time where I would have opened my own pole studio. But quite frankly, um, I know too much and I know better than to open my own pole studio. Uh, I've been a part of probably five or six different studios from day one, from the ground up. And I've seen how much work it takes for these studios to function 
Um, I've seen the blood, the sweat, the tears, the money, the money, the money, the money that it takes to do but one backspin. And I am just so thoroughly uninterested in any of that because I like making money and not just spending it. And so for me, it's not the right move. Um, I like being able to go into a space, work, make my check, and then leave. Um, but there's just, there's so much more that would come if I had my own studio that I just don't want to. So no, and that's yeah, very fair and something that having, I, I run my own business and you run your own business, um, as well. Like, I don't think people realize the amount of effort, like time, energy, all, like all the words that go into having things function well. So give your studio owners some some extra props because it's, it's a journey. It's a task to keep yes. the doors open. Um, I do have a, an interesting post that I saw on Instagram that I know you created um, a few video responses to, but I w- wanted to get your live chat um, feedback on it. So it was a poll, poll LOLs um, post about mm. curvy dancers and having classes just for curvy pole dancers and um when like when I read it I was just like oh yes this like if that's what people are asking for that's what they people think that they would benefit from um why wouldn't you do this but the comments on that post dumpster fire oh treacherous and um it's one where if it's like too hot button of a topic that you don't want to talk about it, that's just fine. But I feel like it's one where I was truly shocked at the responses that some of the people had and felt um, like both angry and then sad that these are people that are out like influencing the pole world. Um, I just want to mm-hmm. yeah give you a moment to, I guess, rant a little bit more or, or share your thoughts about plus size classes exclusive. Why or why not? Yeah. So rant is the appropriate term and here for it. <laughs> hopefully it'll be, hopefully I won't get too angry, but um, I probably will. So people and this, this again, the primary commenters who think that having some sort of affinity group is wrong or that it is somehow segregative or dis or divisive. They are typically not people who have been marginalized before. Maybe they have. I mean, some of them certainly have, but most people have no idea what on earth they're talking about. Because when you have an affinity group, so a group where just a bunch of people who are like-minded, who have something in common, they come together, they're like, hey, cool, let's just celebrate being us. That does not mean other people are excluded from that. And it does not mean like, we've gone through this a lot with Black Girls Poll. So for anybody who doesn't know, Black Girls Poll is started by one of my one of my good poll friends, Delijah Franklin. And when she started this, even now, people gave her so much shit because they're like, oh, this is just a club for black girls. What about white girls who poll? What if we started a club for that? That would be racist. How is this not racist? And 
they act as if all we do is get together and talk shit about white people. And here's the deal. Nobody is here actively talking shit about white people until you talk shit about us. <laughs> and then we have to, you give us shit to talk about. <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing with my plus size students. This is not a time where we're going to get together in a plot to overthrow the size two patriarchy. But when you keep talking shit about us, now maybe I should get a pitchfork. So what happens in these affinity groups if people have not been a part of that is that all of the work it takes to show up as a minority, all of that effort, all of the expense of emotion, all of that kind of drifts away when you're, when you are finally the majority, all of that now things that make you different aren't just there to make you different, but you're with a whole bunch of other people who are also considered different. And suddenly you've got a friend, you've got a friend in the fight in being different. And you all can celebrate what it's like being you and the cool shit that makes you different. Different does not mean bad. And it doesn't mean that we are treated horribly on a regular basis. But what it does mean is that we have qualities that mainstream culture has told us are not good or not desirable. But suddenly when all those people get together, those differences become our superpower. And they become the thing that links us all together. And we figure out how can we use our differences for good and for the good of everybody around us. That's what happens in groups like Dangerous Curves and Black Girls Poll. It's not about how do we hate everybody else. It's how can we show everybody else the cool shit we can do. And if the other people outside of the group don't want to listen, if they don't want to see the magic, if they don't want to participate, that's fine. Because what I have found is that there are gajillions of people who don't look like me, who want to learn and support and cheer on people who do look like me. And this, this is what happens. And this is why it's important. And in regards to plus size and having plus size poll classes, please, Jesus, yes, 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 yes. Have classes that are particularly welcoming for plus size students. And the reason why I will forever advocate for that is because you're, we talked about plus sizers um, gaining strength typically a little bit slower than our slender counterparts. Or it's like that we gain strength s slower. We just have to gain more strength, period. And so, so when you get all those like-minded people together, I can give specific instruction that is tailored for people who need to build more strength than the average polar. And suddenly, then when you think about it, we're like, oh, we're not weaker because we're heavier. 
it actually just takes us longer to build the same amount of strength, relatively speaking. And I'm a beast. Like now, you know, there's this joke about being the bottom of the cheerleading pyramid because you're too heavy for everyone else to lift up. You know, that's that's like the big joke in high school, right, is not to be don't make sure you don't end up the bottom of the pyramid, because that means that you're the fat cheerleader and you can't be the cool girl that's flying in the air. Guess what, boo boo? I am so incredibly proud to be at the bottom of the pyramid because I know I can support the people at the top and that is not an easy thing to do. So that's an example of something that I typically would be embarrassed about is that I'm too heavy to send flying in the air, but guess what? I can base a whole lot of people. I can spot just about anybody who walks into a poll room. My students know when I'm behind them, they feel physically safe enough to try new things because if something goes wrong and they slip, I'm going to catch them. I'm going to catch them. I'm going to support them. And they're not going to kill me because I'm sturdy. (laughs) And that means a lot. And so there's... But I would not have known that if I did not talk and speak and work with other plus size people who had the same experience. We're able to share our experiences. We're able to trade ideas and we're able to just have a good ass time. Like when it comes down to it, it's also just like a fun class. You know, and I want to give a huge shout out to one of my home studios, Incredipole, also to Body and Pole, which is my other home studio here in New York City. Um, but in Incredipole, they did a class a while ago for people who identify as queer. And I was not, I'm not part of that fam, so I didn't go to that class, but I do know that class sold the hell out real quick. And I can imagine it's sold out for similar reasons why my plus size classes sell out quickly and why black girls pole retreats sell out quickly. It's because people who identify as queer need a safe space to exist. They need a place where they can be their queer selves and nobody questions them. They need a space where people can speak, where they can speak in whatever slang terms that they want to use. And there's a common understanding that most people are not going to get offended because everybody in there is equally offended. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's my 48 minute rant about that. I love it. I love it. I love it. There's two, two things that are coming up um, for me is the first one is if the people that are upset about having these affinity groups, these like specific classes, because they're fearful that like negative speak is going to be happening, I would want to hand them a mirror and be like, if you're so worried about this happening, if you're not in the space, like what are you, what are you saying when people aren't yep. in your space? um was like the yeah the first thought and like i don't know maybe reflect on that if that's your like gut reaction is to to be worried about what you know affinity groups are talking about um maybe you need to be doing some some changing in the words that you use in your classes and then with the flyer analogy that flyer couldn't fly if the base of the pyramid wasn't there exactly 
like it would not be possible. So the not thinking that one is better than the other when one isn't possible without the other, um, make it make it make sense. It doesn't. So I don't know. Kind of circle back to like let's be inclusive. We all have a a role, a part to play in making our studios, our house of practices better and not having everyone be involved and being their true authentic selves is um, we're missing out. Like we're missing out a lot. I I think we're missing out on so much. I cannot agree with you anymore. I love it. Um, The last, because I don't know how much time you had allocated for this. So I don't want to keep you for too long. We're like an hour in already, which is amazing. Time flies. Um, Yeah. What? So we've talked about, you have your workshops that you travel to teach, correct? Mm-hmm. For for people to work with you, you have your your workshops, you do tours. Um, what else? What other resources do you have for people that are listening to this, saying like, "I want to learn from Roz. I want to be more inclusive." Yes. So I have. Um, I'm actually working behind the scenes, and when I say I, what I really mean is Jacqueline who is my graphic designer and my brand consultant. (laughs) Um, We're putting together, we're putting together um, some options, some more options on Patreon. Oh, okay. So for people who are looking for inclusive fitness practices, there'll be a new home that's right there for them. Right now I have things kind of, I have things kind of a little bit of everywhere. I've got some stuff on TikTok. I've got a bunch of stuff on Instagram. I have some things on Patreon. I have some things on Vimeo, but I'm working on bringing all of that together. So that way people have one place they can go and they can get all kinds of resources about working with all kinds of people. Um, so there's that. Um, I'm also working with Fitbit, which has been a really great partnership so far. And um, I, for anybody who subscribes to Fitbit Premium, uh, which you all should, uh, there are, I think there's about between six and eight videos uh, that I've got up there um, where I'm just leading kind of regular fitness stuff. The videos are between five minutes and I think 15 minutes might be the longest video that I do. But, um, but we've got that, we've also got that up there. So, and I'm excited about that because I think, I think I might be the only, um, or I should say the first, hopefully not the only plus size instructor who's leading, um, you know, some of these, some of the videos, um, and also, uh, you know, one silver lining from this pandemic lockdown hellscape has been, um, I've worked with clients all over the world now via zoom and, you know, I love working with people in person, but, uh, really a whole new world opened up for me when I realized that I could work with clients in Michigan, in Portland, in San Francisco. Um, I had a zoom as far as Portugal and Australia. I love it. And uh, me too. And I've been so fortunate, um, that, you know, people can go to rosthediva.com and they can be directed to all these places. Uh, if you want to set up a zoom with me, we can do that. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram and TikTok is always appreciated. Um, there's always, all kinds of random bombs. You never know what's going to come out of my mouth, <laughs> quite frankly, on the internet. <laughs> 
So, and, you know, but, and yeah, you know, for 2023, um, I'm looking to do some more revenge traveling. Um, my travel schedule for the rest of 2022 is almost all set, uh, but still working on some particular dates, but, um, I'm game for it. I want to, I want to see the world. I want to keep traveling. I want to keep meeting new people, uh, because it helps me become a better instructor. I love it. And I really feel like you are a testament to if you show up as yourself with the thought process of like experiencing new things, becoming a better person, becoming a better like your profession, whether it's like pole dancer, personal trainer, group fitness person, um, like really the sky's the limit. Like you're working with Fitbit. Like that's so cool. It is. I I legit can't believe it sometimes. Um, I am incredibly fortunate. I am. And you know, this, it is, it does actually speak to the power of, you don't know who's listening to you and who's watching. And you know, when people say that they're usually talking about don't curse around little kids because mm -hmm. <laughs> they're going to hear everything that you say and they're going to mimic it. But in this case, it worked out. Um, cause I was cursing around Fitbit and I, it's, it's not a dream that I knew I had um, to work with such a big, important, influential fitness business, but I am so incredibly glad that it's there um, and that I have this opportunity. And really, I guess, you know, there is actually one more project. Um, I've been trying to talk to Beyonce for the last 20 years. And I know she's busy, so I'm not mad that she hasn't gotten back to me, but I just want to let B know that I'm ready. I have my pole travels. I have a lot of sparkly booty shorts. I can dance on beat. You just let me know what song. I just need one eight count on stage with you. And that's it. That, that's it. That's all. You know, Barack, Barack, Uncle Barack will come and babysit if you need. So that's good. And, you know, tell Jazz said hi. And yeah. Oh my God. I love it. Love it. Love it. And I think that that's the best way that we could end this amazing podcast is to say, Beyonce, <laughs> reach out, yeah. please. And thank you. Let Let's make know. this happen. Mm -hmm. I got a passport and no kids. What's good? Roz has a passport and will travel. Um, apologies for the slightly awkward ending. I had some technical difficulties with my fancy podcasting microphone, and then all of a sudden I couldn't hear anything that Roz was saying, so I just had to end it. Um, we were able to connect a little bit afterwards. Roz is um, honestly such an amazing human. 10 out of 10 recommend utilizing her resources, investing in what she's trying to put out into the world. Um, be sure to look at the show notes and I'll have all of her contact information um, where you can reach out to her and whatever capacity you like to be on social media with. Um, if you have any questions about anything, feel free to reach out to either myself or Roz and I'll catch you in the next one. Bye.